said, patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to, go, to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. I want to teach and preach this morning on keep pressing on toward your promise. Keep pressing on toward your promise. You see, there's times in our Christian walk that we get tired and we get weary from battles that we go through and sometimes it seems like that the battles are never going to end and the prayers that we've prayed are not being answered quick enough and we're not seeing results quick enough and we're not really seeing anything change like we really need it to change and it's in these times that we must do something the Bible talks about as persevere. What does it mean to persevere? To persevere means to be patient, to have endurance, to be steadfast in doing the will of God. You see, the characteristic of a person who is persevering is a person who does not just start, but he finishes what he starts. Now, I've been around a long time and I've been a Christian for going on 38 years and I've seen a lot of great people and I've seen a lot of Christians and I, I've dealt with a lot of people over the years as a pastor, but there's a lot of people that I've met over the years that are great out of the gate. They're great starters. They're excited. Man, let me go at it. Give me that position. Let me have it. Man, I want it. Let's go. Let's win the community for God. Let's win the world. But then about four weeks into it, they're saying, Pastor, you need to find somebody else for this job. I, I just can't do it anymore. I don't have time. Too busy on my schedule, too stressful on my mind. I just can't handle it. I, I can't do it. Preacher, you got to get somebody else. Characteristic of a person that perseveres is not only somebody that starts something, but somebody that finishes something. We need to persevere. We need to make up our mind that we're not just going to get excited in the heat of the moment, but we're going to finish the race. We're not going to just be excited when we come out of the gate. We're not going to just get excited because something's new is going on and it piqued our interest and I came to check it out and I wanted to see what was going on but now I'm tired of it. Something new needs to pique my interest. And do you know it's such a struggle that churches go through now that to keep members interested you always have to pique their interest from week to week. Where's the perseverance? He does not live an inconsistent up and down life. He continues and keeps on doing good deeds. He does not give in to hardship, difficulties, or opportunities. He endures and perseveres, always doing well. To the Christian, to persevere means that you are focused and believing in what God says about your situation. Oh, it might not be happening right now. 
I may not be getting what I need right now. My, my prayer hadn't been answered right now. I haven't been healed yet. My miracle hadn't come. My breakthrough hadn't opened up yet. Heaven hadn't rained down on me yet. But I know because God's Word promised it to me, it's coming and I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to fall short. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to get discouraged. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to do anything except persevere until I see God's blessing come in my life. So I'm asking you this morning, what are you needing God to do in your life? Are you asking and believing God for a healing, for a promotion, for a stronger relationship with Him, for deliverance from an addiction or a bad habit? God has promised all these things to you in His Word because His desire for you is to live a whole life, a complete life, all the days of your life. He never meant for you to live halfway. When you do the will of God by obeying His Word, it opens the door for His promises to be fulfilled in your life. But we must persevere and not give up. We must not give up. Perseverance looks always from, looks away from distraction and negative defeating thoughts. Perseverance looks away from discouragement and looks to the Word of God for answers. Perseverance has a voice and it says things like, No weapon formed against me shall prosper. If, if God is with me, who can be against me? I am more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever you are believing God for this morning, keep believing, keep standing strong, keep fighting the good fight of faith you're about to enter your breakthrough and you don't even realize it yet you're about to enter into your breakthrough what must we do to keep pressing on toward our promise the first thing is we must realize that God will help us rise above the attacks of our enemies Listen to what the writer of Hebrews said in chapter 1, verse 13. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstools? God is saying in this verse, I've never said this or done this for any of my angels, but yet for my children, but yet for my redeemed. I will make your enemies your footstool through Christ. There's not an enemy the devil can muster up that can defeat you when God's already promised you, I'm going to make your enemies your footstool. They're not going to sit on your shoulder. They're not going to hang around your neck. They're going to be under your feet where they should be, where they need to be. That's what God promised us. That means that when you have obstacles in your path, instead of them being stumbling blocks to hold you back, God will use them as stepping stones to take you to a higher level. It's like somebody stuck their foot out to trip you, but God caused you to step right on top of their foot, so instead of going down, you went up. 
The devil's tried to trip some of you up. He wanted you to fall. He wanted you to stumble. He wanted you to be discouraged. He wanted you to quit. He wanted you to say it ain't worth the fight. It ain't worth it. I've gone through hell and back, and it ain't worth it. I give up. I quit. That's what the devil wants some of you to say. But I'm glad to know that God promised us that He would make our attacks, our enemies, our footstool. That He would put them under our feet. That He would remove obstacles that would try to hold us back. Look what He said in Isaiah 45 and 2. He said, I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. He said, I'm going to go before you. In other words, you're not going to go any direction that God's not already out in front of you and He's going to take the things that would throw you off balance, the things that would make you veer off track, the crooked places, and He's going to make them straight. And then He's going to break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. What does bronze gates and iron gates stand for? It stands for something that limits you it's limitations if you come to a gate and you don't have a key to get through that gate you're not going any further God said I'm going to take in pieces the gates of bronze and I'm going to cut the bars of iron because you're my people and you're not going to be held back any longer you're not going to be held back any longer God's got a blessing for you I wish somebody would praise him this morning Look what he said in Isaiah 42 in verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. Oh, sometimes you think you're alone. Sometimes you think you're by yourself. Sometimes you think nobody cares. Sometimes you think, well, nobody's around. Nobody's picked up the phone and called me. Nobody knows what I'm going through. I've been sick for a month. Nobody's wrote me a letter. Nobody sent me a card. Nobody called my number. Nobody checked on me. Nobody told me they loved me. Nobody did any of those things. I don't know about this thing. I'm here to tell somebody, God is wanting to hold your hand if you You'll just let him. You're not by yourself. But God has got something for you. God's got a blessing with your name on it. Look what he said in Isaiah 43, verse 1 and 2. He said, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. He put his definite ownership. The first thing is fear not. I've redeemed you. Some of you need to remind yourself this morning that you're not a misfit. You're not a cast off. You're not a throwaway. You're not a mess up. You're not a hiccup. You're a child of God that's been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb of God, the greatest gift that heaven had to offer. And then you need to remind yourself that God knows who you are. He said, I've called you by your name. And then just to make it clear so there's no misunderstanding, at the end of that verse he said, you're mine. You belong to me. The devil can't touch what belongs to me. He can't cross the fence. 
He can't enter into my property. He can't get in my safe. He can't get in my storehouse. He can't get in my house because you belong to me. But then he said something else that kind of related to when you start going through problems and trials and, and difficulties. He said, when you pass through the waters, sometimes it feels like we're flooded. Not by just all the rain we've had for the last two weeks, but sometimes we feel like we're flooded because of the problems that bombard our life. But he said, when you pass through the waters, he said, I'll be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. It doesn't matter how much the devil rains down on you, it's not going to flood you out. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame kindle upon you. He said there's times that it's going to feel like the battle is red hot. Everything around you is at the point of breaking. Everything around you is at the point of no return. Everything around you seems like it's about to fall apart. Everything around you feels like it's about to be consumed by the enemy. But I want you to know that when the fire is heated up seven times hotter, I'm going to walk into the middle of it and bring deliverance and bring healing and and bring miracles and I'll bring you out if you'll just trust me. If you'll just lean on me. If you'll just let me help you. Look what he said in Isaiah 54 and 17. He said, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. He said, no weapon. It doesn't matter how, how much the devil boasts and brags and growls and howls and does all these things and says all these things of what he's going to do to your life. He's a good talker. He's got a big mouth, but he can't follow it up because he's not as big as my God. God is bigger. Every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. Why? Because you belong to God. You're His child. You're His child. You belong to Him. It's the heritage of the servant of the Lord. You see, the enemy may try to attack you through some kind of sickness that has that has was meant for you your harm and that was meant to bring you down. But I want you to receive this word this morning by faith that sickness is not going to defeat you. That's what the Lord laid in my spirit when I was preparing in this message. He said, I want you to declare a prophetic word to your people that the sickness that has come upon them is not going to defeat them, but I'm going to bring healing. I'm going to bring deliverance. I'm going to bring strength. I'm going to bring anointing. I'm going to bring them out of the middle of the sickbed. Somebody needs to look yourself in the mirror in the morning when you get up and say, sickness, you're no longer going to be here. 
pain. You're no longer going to ravage my body. Arthritis, you have no home here. You're not going to affect me. Diabetes, you don't have a temple anymore. This body's healed and it's been cleaned by the blood of the Lamb. I've been healed. Tumors, cancer, you can't live in this body. It's a holy temple. It's the holy temple of God. It houses the anointing oil of the Holy Ghost. You can't live here. I'm the vessel of the Holy Ghost. Look at what Peter said in 1 Peter 2 and 24. He said, Whom himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, speaking of Christ, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Were, past tense, already done. Were healed. Not something that's got to be done. Not something that's coming. Not something that's in the future. It's past tense. Were healed. Already done. That means all you've got to do is claim it. All you got to do is stand on God's Word. All you got to do is believe in the promises of God that it will change your life and that God has brought deliverance and healing. You see, our healing has already been provided. We have been armed with strength for every battle. The forces that are for you are greater than the forces that are against you. Some of you need to be reminded this morning that the forces that are for you are greater than the forces that are against you. You think you're the underdog. You think you're that puny little faithless Christian that just barely made it in. That just barely got by. Man, I squeezed into that grace just in time. I got news for you. God's got more grace than you could ever imagine in your whole life. And it never deplenishes. It never stops. It never runs out. It It never goes away. God's mercy and grace is always there. Look what Paul said in Romans 8 and 31. He said, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God's on your side... Who can defeat you? Who can be against you? This is a new season for you and your body. This needs to be a new season for you in your mind. The winds are shifting. The sickness you've been battling may have held you down for a little while, but it's not going to last forever. When all is said and done, you're not going to be decreased. You're going to be increased. You're going to step on top of it, come out of it stronger, more determined, with a greater faith than you've ever had before because God God's already provided the miracle of healing in your life. Our problem is, is that number one, we need to have the knowledge in our mind, in our head, of what God's Word says. Then we need to connect that with the faith that dwells in our heart. And when you connect the knowledge of the promise of the Word with the faith of the heart, That's when miracles are produced. That's when the power of God shows up. What must we do to keep pressing on toward our promise? 
we must keep pressing toward the promise. You've got to keep going. The worst thing you can do is decide that I'm going to do this right here and I ain't moving. Ain't nobody moving me. I'm stuck right here. Just come on and try. I'm going to sit here till Jesus comes. I'm going to wait right here. That ain't going to get it. That ain't going to cut it. Because this right here is going to make you bitter. This right here is going to let depression set in. This right here is going to let sadness grip your heart. Because you're not making any progress. Anything that is sitting in one place for long enough is going to either deteriorate or become stagnant. If it becomes stagnant, it sours. It molds. It mildews. It becomes rank. Some of you need to realize the spiritual Lysol would do you some good. Get you out of that germy situation. We've been doing hand sanitizer. We've been spraying Lysol. We've been doing Clorox wipes. We've been doing elbow bumps. We've been doing fist bumps. We've been doing all those things. We need to do some spiritual cleaning in our own spirit and make up our mind. I'm not going to sit here dead anymore. I'm not going to sit here stagnant anymore. I'm going forward. I ain't even going to go there. Hebrews 6 and 12 said this. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and their endurance. I ask you this morning, are you facing challenges that seem overwhelming? Through faith and patience, you'll see God's promises come to pass if you'll trust Him. You need to recognize the fact that the enemy always fights the hardest when he knows you are the closest to your breakthrough. I'm going to say that one more time. The enemy fights you the hardest when he knows... You're the closest to your breakthrough. Why does he do that? Number one, he knows he can't change one thing in this book. He can't, he can't invalidate one thing in this book. If God promised it, you can count on it. You can take it to the bank. He can't stop the promises of God. He can't veto them. He can't make them null and void. He can't do anything to them, and he knows that. Well, if he can't do anything to the promise, then he's got to work on the other end. He's got to work on the one receiving the promise. And he says, well... If I can bring enough sickness, if I can bring enough discouragement, if I can bring enough problems, if I can cause enough turmoil in their family, if I can cause enough turmoil and, and dysfunction in their business, if I can take their customers away, if I can do all these things that's going to double the stress on their life, they'll get mad enough to give up on God and quit, and then they're going to miss the promise anyway because they quit on it. I got news for you. 
I may not be the smartest in the bunch, but I'm the most determined. I'm probably sometimes the most stubborn. Because I done made up my mind that I've done thought enough devils over 38 years that I'm not about to miss out on what God's got for me now. There ain't a devil in hell that's worth me missing out on what God's got in store for Nelson Kimberly. There ain't a devil in hell that's worth me losing my promise and what God's promised me and what God's got in store for my life. I'm not backing up. I'm not being quiet. I'm not going to be shut down. I'm not going to be cast aside. I'm going forward. I'm not going to sit still idly and stagnant and sour and bitter. I'm going to get up and I'm going to march on for God. I'm going to cast off the weight of sin. I'm going to cast off hurt feelings. I'm going to cast off negative words. I'm going to go on because they're not determining my future. God is. He's the only one that's determining my future. He's fighting you the hardest when you're the closest to receiving your miracle. He'd leave you alone if he thought that you would be fine living in mediocrity. If you'd be fine with just coming in, getting a little touch here and there, going to service, uh, visiting Sunday school, singing a few songs, listening to a few sermons, uh, every now and then come up and get a prayer cloth. Man, you're good. You okay? Throw some ties on the plate, and that'll just top it off. And man, you're good. Everybody's good in your life. Everything's great. But when you decide that ain't enough, when you decide I'm tired of the norm, I want something deeper in God. I want to see the power of God move in my life. Oh, I've watched Him move through people in the church for years now. I want God to do something in me. When you start getting that kind of an attitude and those kind of feelings and you start determining in your heart and your, in your mind that you're no longer going to be happy with mediocrity, you're no longer going to be happy with just ebbing by until Jesus comes, but you need a touch from God that's going to shake mountains, that's going to tear up foundations, that's going to break down doors, that's been holding you back. The devil ain't going to like that. If you'll keep pressing on toward your promise through faith and patience, you'll receive what you've been asking God for. We must not be like the Israelites in the Old Testament who were right next to the promised land when they talked themselves out of going over and receiving what God had already promised them. They said, we saw giants in that land, and they're too big for us to defeat. It will be too difficult. It will be too hard. We can't defeat them. We even look like grasshoppers in our own sight. Some of you need to cast off that grasshopper religion. You're not a grasshopper. You're a child of the King, of the Most High God. You're a partner with Christ. You have an inheritance with your name on it. God's been preparing a place for you. We need to stop looking at the obstacles in our life and start looking up to the almighty God that we serve. We need to stop looking at how big our mountains are and focus on how big our God is. We need to follow the example of Abraham who believed God when, even when his circumstances looked impossible. 
Matthew 19 and 26. But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Why don't you just turn around and look at your neighbor next to you and say, With God it's possible. You've got to stand in faith. You've got to keep believing. You've got to press toward the promise that He's promised in your life. What must we do to keep pressing on toward our promise? We must keep the faith as well as move forward. You've got to keep the faith. Hebrews 11 and 1 said this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The New Living Translation of that said this, Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Faith is simply believing that God is who He says He is. That he's a rewarder of the people who seek after him. And this scripture tells us that faith gives us substance to the things we hope for. In other words, we can have faith unless we first, we can't have faith unless we first have hope. Hope gives our faith a target. The Bible also tells us that faith works by love. Listen to this, if hope is the target, faith is the arrow, then love is the bow. Love is what releases faith in your lives. Well, let that sink in a minute. If hope is the target, faith is the arrow, then love is the bow. Love is what releases faith in our life. You can't release faith if you can't stand your neighbor. You can't release faith if you hate the person sitting across the aisle from you. Hold on. Hold on. Can't have faith if you hate the preacher. (laughs) Yep, throwed that in there on you, didn't I? So where does faith come from? Look at what Paul wrote in Romans 10 and 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the word of God. Faith begins where the will of God is known. When you know what the word of God says about your situation, it will build your faith to believe what the Word says. We are tangible people. 
I know we're supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. I know that we're supposed to not go all by feelings. But when it really comes down to it, we're tangible people. God knew that. That's the reason he moved on the men of God that wrote this book. He said, they got to have something tangible that they can hold in their hand, they can see with their eyes, they can read in their mind, they can hear it sounded out as it comes across their lips for them to receive it in their heart. This right here is your tangible promise. Your faith only grows as high as your knowledge is about this book. You don't ever read this book? You ain't going to have much faith. Your faith will only go as high as the knowledge of this book. You've got to know what God has promised you. You've got to know what God says about your situation. When you know it's God's will for you to be saved, it opens your heart to receive salvation by faith. When you know it's God's will for you to be healed, it opens your heart to receive healing by faith. When you know God wants to see you blessed, your faith is ignited and you open the door for Him to move in your life. How do we know these things? By knowing what God's Word has promised us. When we know the Word of God, it builds a foundation for our faith to stand on. I remember reading a biography about Joel Osteen's mother. I have... Even some of the pamphlets and the books that she wrote. There was a time in her life that she was diagnosed with terminal cancer. The doctors told her, said, there's nothing else we can do for you. There's no remedy. There's no cure. There's no surgery. There's no medicine. All we can do is keep you comfortable, and you've got six months to live. Wow. What a report. See if that won't knock you, the wind out of your sails. But in this biography about her life and her testimony, she went home and she got her Bible down and she started writing out every promise in God's Word about her healing. And she started posting them throughout the house. She had them on the mirror in the bathroom. She had them on the headboard of her bed. She had them on the, uh, on the refrigerator in the kitchen. She had them all around the TV in the living room. She had them posted everywhere she was going to be. Everywhere she went, she was seeing a promise of God that God says, I provided healing for you. Time went on. Things that the doctors said was going to happen, didn't happen. She didn't start going downhill. She goes back to the doctor several months into this thing. They can't find what they saw on x-rays and scans and PET scans and body scans. Here's a woman that they said go home and die that they can't even find what they said was killing her. It all started because she said, I'm determined to believe what God's Word promised me. And if I can get this Word in my heart that God promised me, I don't have to be this way. And I can let my mind and my heart connect, then I'm, I'm receiving a miracle. When the knowledge of the Word 
uh, connects with the belief of the heart and the faith of the heart, that's when miracles are produced. Joel Osteen's mother, this has been 25 years ago, and there's been several times that he's put cameras on her on his television broadcast and said, I'm so glad to still have my mother with me. That's what the knowledge of God's Word can do in your life. We must always remember that God is the author and the finisher of our faith. God's the author and the finisher of our faith. He first deposited faith in your heart. He watched over His Word to continue building that faith. He's working with you and in you to complete the work that He started. God is completing the work. What must we do to keep pressing on toward the promise? We must hold fast to our faith. Hebrews 4 and 14 said this, So then since we have a great high priest who has entered he he heaven or haven, just the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. How many has a high priest? His name is Jesus. He's your Savior. He's your Lord. He's your Deliverer. The Scripture tells us to hold fast or hold firmly to what we believe. This phrase indicates that something is trying to pull it away from you like a tug of war. In other words, disappointments are on the other end pulling as, at, at us, trying to get us uh, to give up. Disappointments comes in all shapes uh, and all sizes. Uh, maybe it's a plan you didn't, that didn't work out uh, the way that you thought it would. Maybe you didn't get the promotion that you were hoping for. Maybe you didn't qualify for the new home uh, that you wanted to buy. Then the enemy whispers in your ear saying it's never going to happen just forget about it and then time is on the other end pulling and saying it's been so long you should have already reached your goal by now you just don't have what it takes you come from the wrong side of the tracks the doctor's report says you're not going to make it you might as well just give up and die all these things are constantly coming against you. I couldn't help but think about something that Mary, Nancy Weldon's sister, told me the other day. I've called every day and talked to the family and talked and been in touch with them, and we've been praying for Nancy. And I called one morning, and I said, Hey, Mary, I said, How's Nancy today? She said, Well... She's ate three meals a day for the last two days. We thought two days ago that she become non-responsive in the wee hours of the morning, and we thought that she was probably going on. But to our surprise and to the glory of God, she opens up her eyes that morning, and the first thing out of her mouth, she says, What's for breakfast? She said the last three days she's ate breakfast, she's ate lunch, and she's ate dinner. And said she tells everybody that comes in the house, I'm healed. 
I'm healed. I'm delivered. I'm set free. I'm healed. She was one of those that the doctors have said, we've done everything we can do. Put things in order. Spend your last days with your family. Love one another. Get your affairs in order. You don't have very long. She's still hanging on. She's still trusting God. She's still believing the promises of God. All these things are constantly coming against us. Bombarding our mind, threatening to loosen your grip on hope. How? By trying to steal the dreams that's in your heart. If you're going to fulfill your destiny and live in victory that God has promised you, you must hold fast to your faith and you've got to grip it tight because the enemy of disappointments and tragedy wants to steal it from you. That means you've got, you must... Keep speaking words of faith even when you don't see anything happening. It means you must have an attitude. Nothing's going to cause me to give up. We must make up our mind that God put this promise in us. And as long as we have breath, we're going to believe that He will bring us through to victory. We must come boldly to the throne of grace in prayer, knowing and believing that He's everything that we need. He has everything we need in the palm of His hand, in His mighty hand. But what must we do to keep pressing toward the promise? The last thing that I want to touch on this morning, and I'm going to close here in a moment. The last thing that we must do to keep pressing on toward our promise is that we must praise our way to victory. Look what Hebrews 13 and 15 said. Therefore... By Him, let us continually offer the sacrifices of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Sometimes when we're going through hardships and battles and we've done everything that we know to do to receive the victory, the only thing left to do is to praise our way through the storm. You might say, but preacher, you just don't understand how bad it is. You don't understand how depressed I am. You don't understand how hard it is. We need to realize that praise is more than just singing songs in a church service. In fact, it's more than just singing songs. Praise is when you sing songs from the heart in spite of your circumstances, in spite of what's going on around you. Praise is a powerful weapon. Many times in the Old Testament when God's people would go into battle, they would send the worshipers out first. When you look over in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. As they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever. Verse 22. Now when they began to sing, to praise the Lord, the Lord set ambushments against the people of Ammon, 
Moab and Mount Siri, who had came against Judah and King Jehoshaphat, and who had came against them, and they were defeated. Verse 24. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. What brought this to this point? Jehoshaphat said, we've got three nations that's come against us to destroy us. He sought the Lord, they prayed, he met with the people, they believed, they trusted God. They said, we're going to go on and we're going to do what God called us to do. And he said, but we're going to do this first. I'm not putting the military men of the greatest might out front. I want my singers, my praisers, my glorifiers to be out front. That's what the Lord told him to do. He said, put your singers out front. Put those that are going to praise holiness. Put those that's going to praise the glory of God. Put those that's going to lift me up out in front. And as he did that, and they marched toward the battle, and they were singing, and they were praising, and they were magnifying God, God brought ambushments against between the armies that had come against them. They began to turn on one another. They began to fight against one another. They began to, to attack one another. And by the time the tribe of Judah got there, by the time King Jehoshaphat got there, and the people came to the wilderness overlooking the field or the valley where they were going to have battle at, all they saw was dead bodies because God had already brought victory because of their praise. Not one arrow was shot from the tribe of Judah. Not one sword was used. Not one military tactic was done other than singing, praising, and magnifying God. Sometimes we get to the point that we don't know what to do, and that's when we need to keep praising. Look what God did in verse 25. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoils, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies, precious jewelry which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away, and they were three days gathering the spoils because there was so much to take away. God not only blessed them out of their situation, because of their praise, but he blessed them with things that was going to take them further than they had ever thought would happen. You feel like you're cut off from your resource. You feel like things has hindered you, things has held you back, stumbling blocks has come in your life, walls have been placed before you, things are holding you back. God said, through your praise, I will get you through what's holding you back. Through your praise, I will get you to the place that you never thought you would ever reach. Why did they send the worshipers out first? Because praise precedes victory. The scripture tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. When we praise, when we praise God's presence manifests itself. And the enemy can't stay where the presence of God's at. The devil can't hang around where the praises of God are at. That's something 
we need to get excited about. Oh, I've done prayed, I've fasted, I've read my Bible, I've quoted Scripture. Have you began to praise yet? Have you began to thank God yet for what God's got in store for you? That's something that'll make you put an arm, a garment of praise on for a spirit of heaviness. That's something that'll make you trade in the heaviness you're carrying around. And you say, I'm stepping out of this. I'm putting on my garment of praise. I'm just going to take some time. I'm going to magnify the Lord. I'm going to praise Him. I'm going to thank Him. I'm going to bless Him because my praise is what's going to get me through. If you're going through a tough time and everything you've tried has failed, why don't you praise your way to victory? Why don't you magnify Him? Let God arise. Let His enemies be scattered. Greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. When the praises go up, the blessings come down. We need to celebrate the victory He's promised us when we praise Him. One last verse, Psalms 34, verses 1 through 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall heard of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. If you've done all that you know to do, and you're still in the storm, maybe you need to get the praise out. You say, but preacher, you just don't understand. I, I, I'm toting such a heavy load, such a heavy burden. I just don't feel like praising. There's not a praise left in me. I'm just doing good to put one foot in front of the other. I understand that. I know that. I've been there. But do you know it's in those times that when we feel so burdened and so pressed down and so under the gun and the pressure and the stress of life, that when we put forth just that little effort of praise, if it's not anything except whistling a, a hymn, humming a hymn, praising something, praising God from the inside, God takes that little bit of effort and He begins to magnify it. And things begin to change. And things begin to turn around. And it's all because he saw you in the midst of trouble, turmoil, hardship, discouragement. In the midst of all those things when you had the right to roll over and die. But instead you chose to lift your hand and lift your voice and say, God, I want to praise you. Everything's not worked out in my life yet. I hadn't received all my promises. I'm still not healed. I'm still struggling. I'm still going through battles. But God, I praise you for letting me get up this morning. I praise you for letting me have breath to breathe your air. I praise you for letting me have the strength to get out of bed. I praise you for letting me make it to the kitchen to get that first cup of coffee. I praise you, Lord, for, that, for, 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 for all the blessings you've given me in my life. It may be small, it may seem simple, but God honors the small things of praise that we press on and give Him. God.